As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. This is Talk the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to the soap opera that has become of Manchester United. Absolutely unbelievable. It's only a week since we last recorded, but my goodness, so much has happened, so many different issues to go through tonight. And the only way we could do that was by getting a full house of Carl Anker, Andy Mitten and Laurie Whitwell together to do it. Gentlemen, welcome. I'd planned chats about Laurie's run near Newcastle, Carl's holiday that looks lovely, Andy's endless trips abroad to speak to different people but forget all that we need to start on Jaden Sancho we're recording at 10 to 9 on Thursday night it's just a couple of hours on from your story Carl that gives a little bit more background on the situation with Sancho it's only a day after Laurie wrote, wrote a piece but the very latest on the situation with Sancho this thing is moving so quickly take us through it then a little bit I mean I don't think we need to give a, a complete history because I'm sure people are aware but we're now going to debate an apology Carl or lack thereof um, so Laurie's done an exquisite piece about what Sancho got up to over the international break um, how shortly after the Arsenal game he travelled to New York and uh, was partying out with Aaron Wan-Bissaka and John Wall who plays in the NBA and whatnot. Uh, apparently at this point in time there was also an approach from a Saudi Arabian club that was rebuffed by Sancho's team and the idea was Sancho was going to return some point this week have a conversation with Eric Ten Hag and other members of the club, and then some sort of resolution be found. Earlier today on Thursday, a very, very short statement was released by Manchester United. It was one of those statements where you went, that could have just been a tweet, um, which made it quite clear that Jadon Sancho would not be training with the first team squad anymore. A couple of hours after that, uh, myself and Dan Sheldon have reported that what appears to be the nub of the issue or, or the reason why Jaden Sancho is no longer going to be training with the first team is that he was asked to apologise to Eric Ten Hag about the events that happened after the Arsenal game uh, and Jaden Sancho refused to, which has now created the situation where Sancho is essentially banished from first team training and will be using uh, Manchester United Academy facilities for the foreseeable future. So as we go into the, the game against Brighton and the game against Bayern Munich next week, Jaden Sancho will not be available. 
Laurie, sometimes we want detail, don't we? We want to know the, 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 the every last little intimate note that we can find out about what's happened in these situations. And sometimes you sort of feel like you'd feel better if you didn't know every single last little detail about a situation. I mean, we'll debate what side you're on maybe of this debate, how we feel about the fact that it's being played out so publicly, but um, it's just not a great look, is it, really, all around? No, I mean, there is obviously more to it even than what we've reported, though. You know, there's obviously a nuance to these relationships between manager and player. You know, Sancho will feel there's a reason why he doesn't want to apologise. Clearly, he, you know, said he was being made a scapegoat, which implies that perhaps other players have done things that he's done and do get selected. You know, that's the only reading you can draw from it. Uh, so he will, you know, feel strongly in his position. Eric Ten Hag, though, asked to be the manager, be authoritative. And you, I don't I don't think you can have a player who's posted what he posted on social media after the Arsenal game, where basically he was calling Eric Ten Hag a liar. You know, I know that we can sort of say versions of the truth and, and maybe there was a, a reality in between both of those that was the more correct sort of version of what happened. But uh, I think ultimately Ten Hag has seen his uh, control uh, chipped away at by Sancho. And only when he apologises to him can he bring him back into the team and, and then have him as, as one of his players. So, yeah, incredible situation. I mean, you called it a soap opera at the start of this scene and, and that was the first time you always do the intro the exact same way and I love it because you always put the emphasis on the two and it's like, you know, when you read your phone number out to somebody and if you sort Doesn't of get like the, the intonation <laughs> wrong yeah. a little bit, you're like, what number is that? Doesn't sound like... It was such a quirky entrance to this this podcast. I was like, what what podcast are we on here? But it made me think of um, something that I was chatting about to a friend earlier and he was saying, imagine if, you know, Netflix had got a documentary of this season at United. Yeah. I mean, we're not even, what, we're four games into the season and, and the amount of stuff that has happened. Imagine if there was some fly-on-the-wall cameras. And I was thinking, actually, United could just sell the rights to, you know, Amazon, whatever. They could charge whatever <laughs> they wanted, like a billion pounds, and they'd probably pay it for the amount of you know, eyeballs <laughs> that would pay for the stadium I've sorted it oh. lads there we go the thing is we're talking about Jaden Sancho here and, and this is the latest development uh, you know on Thursday that's come there was a development on Wednesday we had the statement we had him being left out of the squad this isn't talking about Anthony this isn't talking about Harry Maguire who's had an extremely eventful international break as well we've not even thought about how we preview a, a game of football at the weekend against Brighton which we will get to at some point during this recording. Andy, this season already was looking a little bit problematic, shall we say, before this break, but it's just piling up, isn't it? I mean, you know, how how Tenag focuses on football amidst all of this is a, a challenge isn't it, in itself, isn't it? I mean, where do you stand on, on this situation with Sancho now? A month ago, I was actually optimistic about this season. And we can probably list eight, nine, and we have done already, Things that have gone wrong, we've had a lot of injuries as well. Um, stuff happening to individuals, which we've discussed and we'll discuss further. Yeah, it, it, it is non-stop. I, I, I'm an optimist who thinks it's probably going to quieten down now and the team are going to start winning football matches. But I think that every time the team walk out on the field, I mean, what else can there be? It feels weird that we're even calling this Sancho situation a scandal because... It's not. This this could have been resolved much quicker than the situation we have. And I, maybe this is wrong of me, but 
the thing I keep coming back to is the, the final paragraph of the now deleted tweet, which is, I respect all the decisions that are made by the coaching staff. I play with fantastic players and grateful to do so, which I know every week is a challenge. I will continue to fight for this badge no matter what. And I just want to read that back to Sancho and say, okay, here's, here's the first thing you need to do to fight for the badge. Your manager is asking you to to do a certain thing, can you do it? Uh, and then we can get towards this this resolution. Apparently the answer is no, which is really confounding. Uh, Manchester United are gonna go into to Brighton and honestly, there are three or four different options you can play on the right side of attack, none of which are optimal, shall we say. Laurie, on Sancho, the obvious question is, do we think he'll play for Manchester United again or not. But I just want to get into some more of the detail that was in your story the other day about the issues historically there has been between Jadon Sancho and Eric Ten Hag. I mean, what what can you tell us about how this all began and how it's developed over time? I mean, I think it boils down to Eric Ten Hag wanting um, absolute high quality standards. So, you know, players that train at their maximum every day, that are on time for things. I mean, they are kind of, you know, standard um, behaviours for a manager to want. I mean, you, you basic requirements. Basic requirements. You'd probably call them, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. You, you only have to think back. I mean, we shouldn't always hark back to this era, but under Fergie and how they used to say that training was the hardest um, thing of the week, the matches became easy because they trained at such a high level. So that's clearly what Eric Tenag is striving for. Um, I think that in terms of Jaden Sancho, particularly timekeeping is an issue. They even set uh, last season earlier. Uh, roll calls for him to be in to try and kind of I don't know <laughs> not trick him but you know like cajole him into coming in time, into co- I mean yeah. I, I've been told earlier start times occasionally for things to, you know because people know that I you know I'm not always the, the most prompt so yeah I got um, the same it, 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 it does work from time to time and, I, and I'm you know we're led to believe that it did work for a time with Jaden Sancho but you know ultimately familiar patterns emerged and um and yeah and, and the issue before the Arsenal game was about is, is training levels now this dispute over how that actually uh, manifested itself and um you know Jaden Sancho clearly felt that he was training well Tenag thinks differently beyond you know disagreement is the fact that there was timekeeping issues which I think if it's repeated Tenag will just be like just so frustrated over and and yeah I'm not going to put you in my starting eleven if you are late you know uh, repeatedly so back to your sort of point about whether he plays again you know they, they did look at Saudi Arabia as, as an avenue after the social media post you know from what I understand it there was you know very little coming back from Jaden Sancho about that as an option he was, wasn't interested whether that changes in January if he still hasn't played for United in that time it, it seems like an apology has to happen for Sancho to be brought back from the academy buildings into the first team and I don't I, I am interested you know with you guys what you think is that essential? I kind of feel like that there needs to be some kind of act from Sancho to make right the the social media post. But I don't know, do you think that's a fair thing to ask from a manager? Tenag's the boss. He's the manager. He's a disciplinarian. United knew exactly what they were getting. He's always been like this. He's not just turned into a different type of person when he became United manager. I've sat with one of his players today. I won't name him because we'll know soon enough because it's for the Athletic. For one hour. Really well-known player. And I asked him about Ten Hag. He says, you're either on his train or you're not. And if you don't follow his very precise instructions, 
then it's see you later. It's nothing personal. He's the one whose job will lose his job if players don't follow his instructions and win win football matches. And the player said to me, I I liked his frankness. He he will tell you straight to your face. And I don't think we're looking at Jaden Sancho as oh no, we're losing our star player here. This isn't George Best falling out with the manager, Eric Cantona falling out with the manager. This is someone who's been pretty underwhelming. We've all wanted him to do well. And then at times he's had some decent games and we've all spoke to him and he's a nice lad and I still want him to do well. But I don't think that Tanag is in the wrong gear. I think I am told that he has made a huge effort with the player over the last year. And maybe there's cultural differences. Maybe you're a South London kid, you don't see the world the same way as you do if you're from rural Holland. Clearly there's something amiss there. But overall, I think that dressing room is quite a good place compared to a year or two ago when there was some proper, I was going to say the word poisonous, maybe that's too strong, but I think it is a better place than it has been. We learned very quickly, Carl, didn't we, that it was sort of Ten Hag's way or the highway. Um, and we've seen that play out with with the Ronaldo situation, even the the sort of warnings and the making up that he had with Marcus Rashford and Alejandro Garnacho for, for timekeeping issues as well. I just wonder, in a, in a modern setting a modern football setting should there be more nuance than than this or is this the way that it needs to be I mean it's funny actually because I was having this conversation with someone the other day almost the things that we praised Ten Hag for a year ago you know restoring standards uh, setting boundaries sticking to them you know this this idea of being a disciplinarian a are almost the points of criticism for him now. This is going to be a very intriguing situation to see how it plays out in the sort of more medium term, isn't it? Oh yeah, you know, it's it's that classical sense of your greatest strength ends up being one of your weaknesses, right? So Ten Hag he has a very very clear plan of what he wants, and he will fight relentlessly for that. Which means if you are not including your his clear plan, you are going to fall by the wayside, and he's not going to be one to change or acquiesce to accommodate that. That's great if you're a team that, you know, as Andy said, was a bit of a mess and needs someone to go, here is the structure. That's not so great if you're someone who perhaps doesn't respond too well to strict structure and need a bit of a helping hand. And as Andy says, and as has... A bit of indulgement as well, isn't it? I mean, even Ferguson had that with certain players at certain You know, times. there's the story of what Fergie did with Cantona's dress sense on a, on a big... Uh, for a big event where gigs and everyone else was told off for, for, for not being too well dressed. And this is also the thing that Andy said of Sancho's been underwhelming. And this is this is also, I think, it's been really difficult. If there was a Sancho game, if there was a, you know, a three or four amazing run of form where you can go, oh, we absolutely need Jaden Sancho, then maybe his lateness might have been accepted a little bit. Or maybe not. Or if there was, you know, that bit where he said, I didn't train too well this week. Ten Hag goes, oh, fine, I can still play you in there. But we're, we're still at this point now where, and I want to I want to give more nuance to both members here. And what's really difficult is, and I go again, Sancho's statement tweet says, there's things deeper at play, but you can't go into it. And that statement that United did was a paragraph, really. And that also read to me as if more things weren't going on, to which we found out one of the things that was going on was the lack of, Apology. So you've got two parties here, United and Jaden Sancho, that are both alluding to bigger things going on behind the scenes. And neither one wants to explain what's going on behind the scenes. 
And they're both saying to an essential degree, trust me. Now, I think a lot of United fans are going to find it hard to trust Sancho because he's not got an impressive body of work where you can trust him that he's actually training really, really hard and he's actually doing everything in his power to apply himself because you're all going, well, you've not played great games in this situation, this situation, this situation, and I've seen you pass backwards when instead of taking on your fullback. Are you doing everything in your power? And in Manchester United, there's been a very, very long history, you know, pretty much as far as the Glazers have come in, where Man United fans go, why should I trust you? Because you often say you're going to do one thing and you don't do the thing in the end. So what I want to do is knock both their heads together and say, sort it out, because this is getting quite tiresome. I don't think that's going to happen. And I think what's more likely to happen is... I don't think you will get the opportunity to bang no, Jaden Sancho no, and Eric Ten Hag's no. head together, Carl. No, I don't I think you say, will. You could do it at Brighton on Saturday, <laughs> couldn't you, Carl? Out, but yeah, mate. Sancho won't be I there. Unfortunately, <laughs> security might stop yeah, you at the gate. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm a bit weary <laughs> about what might happen tomorrow, tomorrow being Friday, because obviously that's Ten Hag's press conference and we could have another chapter in... Again, it shouldn't be a scandal. It should just be a bunch of adults coming to a resolution because we all want Jaden Sancho to do well and we all want Manchester United to be winning games. In true soap opera style, I'm sure there'll be another yeah. cliffhanger when Eric Ten Hag's press conference, <laughs> press conference finishes tomorrow ahead of the Brighton game. Um, just to round this off, it's a really difficult question to answer and part of me is loathe to put you all in this position, but Carl, do you think Sancho will play for United under Ten Hag again? Yes. Andy? Yes. Laurie? <laughs> Shall I just say no to be different? If you want, if that's what you think. I think I think it'll ultimately mm. get resolved, but it might take a bit of time. Okay. All right. Tune in next week. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we know that Jaden Sancho 
will not be available for this Brighton game, or we think he won't be available for the Brighton game at the moment, pending exactly what Eric Ten Hag has to say in his press conference. Another player that we know who will not be featuring in this game is Anthony after the club announced over the weekend that he will not return to training or playing matches for Manchester United until further notice as he continues to address allegations of assault, allegations which he denies. There is an explainer on The Athletic at the moment which Phil Buckingham has written all about the allegations and the entire picture for Manchester United and Anthony. So go and have a read of that if you want to know more about the exact specifics of this situation. But Laurie, one thing it's done for Ten Hag, especially when added to Jadon Sancho, it's created a big question mark in the right wing position, primarily for the Brighton game, but obviously moving forward for uh, the next few weeks as well, potentially. How does he solve it? Well, he doesn't solve it by signing Anwar El Ghazi, which I know uh, came up this week and a lot of people were kind of losing their minds over. Um, I think he was proposed to the club uh, by uh, a creative agent, shall we say. And uh, yeah, but that that one won't be happening. The obvious solution, you'd think, because he's the only actual right winger in the squad now that can be selected is Facundo Palistri, who has shown glimpses when he's come on um, of being quite exciting. Now, obviously, the next step is doing that from the start in a match. Ten Hag's kind of not ambivalence but reluctance to do that already perhaps is an indicator of what he really thinks of him although they did you know stop him they stopped him earlier than the Anthony and the Sancho incidents from going on loan you know this they could have let him go on loan thinking that Sancho and Anthony you know had that right wing slot um, sealed they didn't so clearly has some regard for him to, to do it in a Premier League setting so that would be you know fascinating to see if he actually starts I mean I, but then you've got other options, haven't you? I mean, Carl's. I think you've got a piece coming up for tomorrow, Carl, on on the different os- aspects. Bruno Fernandes has played there, you know. Although I think that does limit him a little bit from his best position. Mason Mount, he's injured at the moment, but you know he's done work on the wing for Chelsea in the past, where he's actually looked really, um, you know, positive. And then Scott McTominay, <laughs> could he, could he play on the right wing? I mean, he he did, you know, he does it for Scotland now. He's kind of gone all over the pitch for Scotland from centre back in a back three to sort of midfield, and now this kind of energetic presence bursting into the box which is where we've seen him do his best work for United really um, and maybe one absolute curveball um, Hannibal he's still at the club uh, he has played on the right wing for the under 21s uh, you know since he's been at the academy uh, yeah that would be a huge leap to to chuck him in but uh, you know there's there's sort of ways there's configurations I suppose that uh, Tanar can look at um, I don't know I, I would probably as things stand I would say give Palistri a go at, at right wing just because he is the actual guy that's that's his position yeah there's Ahmad as well obviously who's, who's out injured at the moment again another one of those players who were not sure of the exact extent of the issue and when he could be back but I suppose at some point in the future he could also be an option to Ten Hag in that position Andy the thing with Palestri is he's not played enough really for Manchester United fans or indeed maybe the the, the coaching staff to know exactly his level has he played 18 minutes so far this season he didn't get off the bench in the last two matches, but as Laurie alluded to, he does excite when he comes off. He's fast, he's direct, he's a great kid, and we knew all that when he came from Uruguay. Uh, the problem was his shooting, and this was put to me by the man who sold him, Diego Forlan, and he said, well, he needs to be more two-footed in his shooting. I'm like, well... How many two-footed strikers do you know in world football who've done it at the highest level in the last 20 years? 
I mean, there's that lad Diego Forlan. Why aren't you teaching him? Well, I've just sold him. How can I teach him? And he's not played enough football. He went to Alaves. Uh, I spoke to him pre-season when Laurie was chasing after Avi Glazer. I was actually talking to Fakundo <laughs> Balestra. We were actually, yeah. Saying, <laughs> saying, yeah, I was, yeah. Look at my mate ch- what, chasing he's your not, He's not uh, as quick as you. I said, what, what, what's happening this year? And he's like, I'm talking to the manager all the time. The decision has not been made there. The decision has been made for him to stay. We don't know, Ian, uh, how good he is. We don't see him in 90-minute matches. I would love him to be good and to break through. It's just difficult. You see, with Garnacho, he can be so much more impactful when he comes off the subs bench. Doing it from the start of a game is another thing altogether, but... Palestre, I went to see him when he was in Vittoria, spoke to him for an hour there, um, always speak to him when he comes through the mix zone, he's a good kid, I'd, I'd love it to work out for him, but you're asking someone to play for one of the best, in the best league in the world, for a team that's expected to win every single match, and if he doesn't play well, after one or two matches, people are going to be on his case, so he knows that, I think he's alright with the pressure, um, let him let him go, let him go for it. The interesting thing with Pellestri is last season, so last season he played 60 Premier League minutes across four games. So we're talking, we're talking, you know, the shortest of substitute appearances. And then when he did play a bit more in the, I think he played 100 minutes in Europa League and a little bit more in the League Cup, he had one quite nice cameo against Nottingham Forest. Um, and, you know, we, we asked Ten Hag about it and said, what do you think makes him good? Ten Hag paused and went sort of, He's good because he goes on the outside, not because he's good at going on the outside, but because the team, you know, Forrest has spent the first hour and a half basically getting used to the previous person who constantly wanted to cut inside. So it's that difficult thing of Ten Hag never really says what he's good at. He always just says it's the opposite of the person he's coming on for. And I'm not saying, you know, I, I've tried my best to watch Palestri highlights, but they are so bitty and so few and far between. He's played more minutes for Uruguay's national team than he has for Manchester United senior team since arriving. He's played across, what, 18 months at Alaves. He's played just more than a thousand minutes. And again, snippets, rarely 90 minutes. He is, I, I was there for his debut in the under 23s and thought he was very, very raw for United there. But he did, he dribbled well and he wanted to get on the outside and he had a very nice sort of Eden Hazard style hip check for when someone's trying to tackle him and he's like, no, I'm not going to fall down yet. But other than that, I could not tell you what he's good at. Carl, your piece will be available, I'm sure, for people to read by the time they're listening to this podcast. I mean, what do you sort of, what's the conclusion <laughs> of the uh, of the analysis? Because well, I, I feel I'm... like there's quite a lot of analysis with the way that we've just even talked about one player, let alone the other options are available. Uh, I did. I did try and do the pros and cons of all the players I thought could play on the right hand side, and it, it was one of those things where I started off thinking it, it'd only be a thousand word piece, and it got longer and longer and longer. Because so who've we got then? We've obviously got Palestri that we talked about, Bruno Fernandez, I guess. Mason yep. Mount's done it when he's back yep. fit, going out right. I suppose you could switch Rashford or Garnacho yeah, to the right hand side, side and have the other on viable one on yeah, the left hand side. Um, yeah, Scott McTominay was mentioned. Uh, really. Uh, yeah. There's a there's a line in so this piece will be out tomorrow for so by the time listeners listen get this um you can read the piece and there is a line about Scott McTominay on the right hand side. There's also a, a, a big conversation about the right back because 
no matter who's playing on the right-hand side, they're probably going to find it quite difficult because they're not going to get someone who can overlap to the same degree Luke Shaw can overlap on the left. The right-back's going to have to be Aaron Wan-Bissaka because Diogo Dalot presumably still needed a left-back. So, I mean, this is a thing that we'll talk about later on with Brighton. Regulon? He's, he's a thing. Yeah, but I, I'm not sure if he's a thing that, that's going to start for United straight away. I mean, we'll talk about this more when we get into Brighton, but... There are so many sort of like holes and issues to plug up already for the manager. And the issue is, you know, we talk about Palistri or even Garnacho. They are vastly different player to Anthony. You know, Anthony cutting in on his left all the time. And if, if that's the kind of, you know, configuration that you want from your team, inside runs from your full back, you know, all, all these kind of things have kind of, you know, Tanag trying to set up. I mean, okay, it's not really flowing as fluidly as you'd hope in these first four games, but to then go to a totally different kind of, of winger, um, I mean, yeah, how do you sort of solve that one? Okay, maybe, you know, they can get out there and play a different version of football, but it, it's going to require some tweaking. Yeah, right. The next issue then for Tanag to solve ahead of the weekend could be centre-half as well, Andy. Um Sandro Martinez hasn't kicked a ball during the international break. That's despite staying on international duty with Argentina after picking up the foot problem against Arsenal. Victor Lindelof has played, so presumably he's recovered from the illness that he suffered in that Arsenal game as well. We think that Rafael Varane will still be missing uh, with what's been described as an unspecified injury, which there's going to be, again, a lot of these, as we've talked about before. Luke Shaw's still out with his hamstring problem. So it brings... Harry Maguire to the fore. Now, another issue for Manchester United at the moment. I mean, it's not even Harry Maguire that's become a national debate in the last few days. It's actually the scrutiny stroke, ridicule stroke, however you want to term it, of Harry Maguire that's become the national debate. I was at the Sheffield United press conference today and even Paul Heckingbottom was asked his opinion of the scrutiny of Harry Maguire. I mean... It's yet another issue, isn't it, to sort out? I mean, you're going to have to manage how he feels about playing if he indeed has to play because you've got all these other problems anyway. If he starts and plays well against Brighton and Manchester United were to get a good result, that would be a a major plus for for Harry Maguire. With regards to the abuse, we've touched on it in the past. If he plays for Manchester United, most United fans support him in real life at games. Online, it is slightly different. There has been incidents at games which get picked up on. Um, Melbourne last year, a couple of hundred people. Dublin last month, a couple of hundred people. Both times were shouted down by people supporting him. This is an online construct, this abuse. Some people are doing really well, really well out of um, Harry Maguire not doing well. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not comfortable with that. Every footballer knows they get praise and criticism, but some of the abuse which he has had has gone way beyond the pale online but that is not reflected in real life at matches it's an online thing mainly but when it happens at games the journalists there really do pick up on it and and I've been at them games Laurie's been at them games Carl's been at them games you have and all it takes there's not a footballer told me 15 years ago there is nothing worse as a player than being heckled by your own fans and Maguire's had a little bit of that but not a lot of it Totally outweighed by support. No, and actually, the England fans were pretty supportive of him the other night against Scotland as well. I mean, Carl, it's got to the point where he's been cheered, stroke jeered by opposition fans in each match. It happened at Arsenal, it happened against Scotland as well. Uh, Even his mum and sister have sort of waded into the debate today. Maguire said that he can cope with it all, but 
you know, if he if he has to start this game against Brighton, if he is the choice to start the match against Brighton, I mean, how difficult is it to play amongst all of this? Very difficult. I agree with Andy that there there have been worse examples of abuse in football and, and it feels weird to almost grade it. But I think Maguire is in a very difficult vortex now where everything he does is a punchline. And yes, it, it, it's mostly online and because... You know, the, the type of football fan that likes to engage in this is very, very online. But I've se- I've never seen a football player abused like this, unless it's racist abuse or unless it's you know religious bigotry. This is you know, we're we're talking where you know before we just start recording, there was the Ghanaian politician who said someone was an economic Maguire. Um, I remember watching Upper Makana have a particularly bad game for Bayern Munich against Manchester City in the Champions League and the Arabic commentary said he was upper Maguire. This is not the first time it's happened to a Manchester United player and it's not even the first time recently. You know, There was definitely a point in time where Fred was a punchline. Oh God, Fred's coming on. Fred this, Fred that. Well, I think Phil Jones has had it worse than anyone, to be honest, especially with it crossing over for him, sort of. This, this is a key difference, actually. There is a massive, massive difference between a player being scrutinised for his performances being um, you know, criticised even for his performances and actually some of the stuff that has happened with Maguire. I mean, we, we, we've, we've spoken on the podcast before about bomb threats, about you know, the criticism of his appearance, of, of quite how deep some of the ridicule has been, especially online, uh, towards Maguire. Um, what do you think about all of this, Laurie? I think he's in an unfortunate position in that each time that he comes on, in these situations now, something happens that then exacerbates the situation. So he scored an own goal uh, for England when he comes on against Scotland. He, he came on against Arsenal. United ended up losing the game. It, it feels like, and I'm not saying that that's his fault. Like he's obviously there's other elements of these performances that are perfectly good. Um, you know, there was a there was a ball out to Anthony, for example, against Arsenal, which was actually a good pass. But by this point, Anthony had got annoyed that he wasn't being passed to and kind of didn't run for it. So that could have been, you know, a, a game changing pass, for example. The new thing for me it, the, it is the opposition fans. I mean, the Arsenal fans, you know, chanted his name coming onto the pitch, um, which. I, it's just that must be such a weird feeling. Um, I mean, I don't know if you he can hear it. I'm sure you can. Uh, I don't know how much you, you can block you it out. You can't hear that, yeah, can you? Yeah. Um, but I don't know if, if you're kind of focused on what your job is supposed to be, maybe yeah. you can kind of block it out. But that that is a weird, and, and that is I, I don't know when opposition fans feel that that's having an effect, then they're going to keep doing it. I mean, I think if you start a game, to be honest, he's probably in a better position because there's no moment to mock for the opposition fans. And I think he does, he comes out and speaks and I think that's that's good. I think Gareth Southgate speaking as he did, I don't know if that like necessarily helps the situation. I think he obviously wants to defend his player there and clearly he's, he's made a point of selecting him again in this international break even though he's not been playing. He's trying to defend uh, his decision in a way as well, isn't he? Because he, he's yeah. been criticised for even selecting but, him. But or to, thinking get, of to sort of say it's an absolute know. joke, I mean, I suppose he's, he's, he's been genuine with his feelings there and, that, and you should applaud that. Um, mm. But I don't know, I think there's also then a consequence of that in that it then makes it even more of a lightning rod. I mean, you know, England won 3-1. Bellingham was absolutely outstanding. But the the talk afterwards was was Maguire, possibly primarily because of what Southgate had said after the game. Uh, maybe it still would have been a talking point, whatever. But yeah, it's obviously not nice for him. And you know, we've touched on this before. You know, he had a good start to his career at Manchester United. Um, I think there was always going to be, with the price tag, a kind of an effort for people to really 
sort of go at him when it when it turned a little bit and and he's been unfortunate with the way that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer left and then the kind of chaos of the Ralph Ranić era Cristiano Ronaldo coming into the picture and big egos kind of coming at him really and and you know I don't know if that's ever been in his nature totally to kind of respond to that in that kind of a you know alpha male kind of way um he's obviously a nice guy and he obviously works hard trains hard you, you do sort of wonder you know West Ham would that have been a, a good solution for him in the summer West Ham offered 30 million for him and Manchester United refused permission for Harry Maguire's agent uh, to speak in detail to West Ham that permission was only granted um, right near the end of the the transfer window United had said um, they needed a re- replacement looked at Pavard we spoke about him on on a previous podcast, six other clubs came in for Maguire on loan. He would have gone on loan, but Eric Tenag said he didn't want him to go out on loan. So he was getting quite mixed messages because on one hand, you've got part of United saying, yeah, we'll do a deal and get 30 million, which is a decent amount of money. But Eric Ten Hag wanted to keep him at least publicly. So what do you do if you're a player? He would have gone to West Ham and played there every week. But if he's not given permission to talk to West Ham, what can he do? If he starts at the weekend, I think you'll get a very good reception from Manchester United fans. I really do. And I wouldn't be surprised if Eric Tenard came out and started speaking well of him uh, as well. Well, this podcast has gone past half an hour. There is so much that we haven't talking about. So many great articles on The Athletic as well, which I urge you to go and read. The Scott McTominay and exactly what position he should play for Manchester United moving forward after his incredible performances for Scotland uh, in this international break and over the last few months as well. Uh, There's obviously all the detail about Manchester United agreeing a new front of shirt sponsor as well. Matt Slater has a story about the Adidas deal too. So go and have a look at those. If you're not a subscriber, of course, you can sign up now to The Athletic for $1 or £1 a month for the first 12 months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod to sign up. Uh, But we need to preview Brighton because amidst all of this, there is a football match that's going to break out at some point on Saturday. Can we give any sort of positivity, Andy, heading into this game? I guess Rasmus Hoyland is the the main point of positivity. He's had a couple of appearances for, for Denmark off the bench during this break and you should think that he's going to be ready to start, do you think? He was encouraging when he came on against Arsenal. Him playing at Old Trafford is a positive. United have not lost a league game, what, since... Brighton, start of last season. That's right. United are always horrific when they play away at Brighton, but I think that they were excellent in the FA Cup at Wembley, and I know United felt that they really had to be on top of of their game against Brighton. I know it went to, to penalties. I'm now hearing people who I'm interviewing name-checking Brighton in a way that I've never heard in my life before, saying that they watch out for the way that they play. Seeing Ansu Fati a star of Barcelona going to Brighton and Ove Albion. I'm trying to change the chip in my brain because I went to Brighton when they didn't even have a ground. They nearly went out of the Football League. So to see them held up as this model club with a beautiful stadium, training ground, manager, 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 they keep getting it right. Their recruitment is exceptional. And look at the players. It's full of players who I really like. In terms of performances... Evan Ferguson and his three goals against Newcastle are what people are talking about. But I think they lost 3-1 at home to to West Ham. So they're not all there. I thought 
Matoma's good. I've liked Dunk for, for years. Um, it's going to be difficult, Pascal Gross. If United can beat them and come up with half a convincing performance, which we didn't really see against Wolves and against Forest, you know, you're two 0 down inside four minutes. Just just a a one nil win and play well against Brighton. I love how you've referenced the one defeat that they've had this season as opposed to the three victories that they've had, <laughs> just to give us a bit of a G up ahead of the weekend. Um, I mean, you talk about the transfer business. They made something like a 74 million profit in this transfer window. You know, the, the entire midfield was ripped out and yet there's people just ready to step in. There's their replacements already lined up. It's an incredible machine that they seem to have have built at Brighton. It was such a low point last season, Laurie, wasn't it? The the Brighton home game. You know, it was Eric Ten Hard's first match. I remember I remember being pitch side for it and at half time, you know, United behind after Ten Hag's first forty five minutes as United manager, there was like real discontent in the stands. He's got a camera in his face as he makes the walk down the the touchline because it was it was live on UK TV as well. And I remember thinking, what must it be like to you to be you at this point? You know, after 45 minutes and you've got a camera right in your face and you, you've got to try and sort this all out. But I mean, what's it going to be like for him this weekend? He's in an even worse position. Camera in his face coming out of the tunnel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I suppose I suppose that was, you know, a period where he was still trying to get his feet under the table. He's got his feet under the table now. So. We're really going to learn yeah. what he's made of, though, aren't we, over these next few yeah. weeks with all these problems. We've not even talked about how dysfunctional the team looked before the international break as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's a bit of similarity to the Liverpool game um, last season when it felt mm, on, on the edge a little bit. Uh, and, you know, United came through that with a, a performance of real character. Um, I do think, actually, from the international break, Rasmus Hoyland picking up the megaphone after Denmark had beaten Finland and telling you know his fans we're going to the fucking Euros and kind of giving it the absolute big licks was kind of impressive for a twenty year old. Um, so you know, get him get him starting um, on Saturday. Reminded me of Andy Mitten at the live shows actually. <laughs> <laughs> it, it will be fascinating to see um, Hoyland versus Ferguson. If, if Ferguson starts, you know, how can he drop him after a hat trick? Got, but, got a knock yeah, though, hasn't he? Did he missed the international break. You know, suggesting. Yeah, one, isn't yeah, it? That one, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, there's there's lots of conspiracy theories going around about that, in there. But um, yeah, hopefully they both start, and you've got these two young, you know, exciting strikers going at it. Um, uh, I do think Bruno Fernandes is another sort of reason to be optimistic. He went away with Portugal, had a really good international break. Um, he's the kind of player that will look at a situation like this and be pissed off in the right way to try and make amends. And again, and I know he he can be. Um, polemic in, in the way that people view him but I think in situations like this he, he he will get on the ball he will demand to try and create something and you know maybe maybe that can be the difference maker um but yeah Brighton are a, a very well-run club I, I read an interview with Tony Bloom the chairman and owner um, who's obviously you know the absolute catalyst for this change that Andy's talking about uh, from when there was a they had a stadium that was probably a different capacity than the one that they currently have uh, now, and uh, and he was just sort of saying that they've already got you know the manager, the coach um, after Roberto De Zerbi, you know, in their mind because um, clearly he you know will go on at some point. Um, I think he's a really impressive guy. Um, Man City are being spoken about. You know, will he take over from Pep Guardiola uh, when he eventually decides to leave? I think that's got some real legs to it. So, um, yeah, United are gonna. It's gonna be an interesting battle. I don't know. I think the atmosphere will be a good one for it, though. 
The real good news, though, in all of this, Carl, amidst all this chaos with Manchester United, we had the lovely little aside of Anthony Martial turning up for five minutes <laughs> earlier on today, which was absolutely brilliant. That was the comedy interlude of this sort of episode of tragedy on the soap opera. So he's not injured, he just turned up ridiculously early for training. That, that's um, yeah, 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 thanks, rocked Anthony. Up, rocked up five minutes to nine, realised he, he was afternoon training, went back home. Uh, producer Ollie said, you got to style that out when that happens. We've all been there. We've all turned up really early for the late shift. When that happens, you just got to turn up early, you know, style it out, have a little bit of a massage, use the swimming pool for a little bit, have a little nap in one of the beds, and then have lunch and then go into your training. But uh, yeah, fair enough, Anthony. Marshall. Fair enough, Anthony Marshall. Yeah, he definitely could have just styled it out and suggested he was doing his utmost to be fit and firing and, and backing the team for Brighton, Andy, couldn't he? I mean, he didn't just have to turn around and leave. I think people's patience with Anthony Martial is probably at its lowest ever level. I wouldn't say I've completely given up on him, but he was so poor when he started uh, against Forrest. Um, I, I, as an optimist, I don't have much optimism for Anthony Martial. Can't we talk about like Brighton's ground capacity or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> what was the capacity of the with the? It got up to about twelve. Um, but the, the, twelve people. Twelve people. Twelve thousand. No wonder yeah. they're at lower. <laughs> the, the, the stands were were miles from the pitch. It had an athletics track, and it was in quite a wealthy area of Brighton. I went to one of the last games there. I think Gus Poyet was in charge, but no, it was it was really small. I think it started out at like five or six thousand. I saw Man United play at the Goldstone Ground. David Beckham made his debut there in '92. That was all. That would have held about eighteen and nineteen thousand now. But the new ground. I've now, never even heard of that. What was that? What really? Never heard of it. The Goldstone Ground. No, sounds like you made it up. That that was Brighton's home until they were kicked out and were homeless. Had to leave the city of Brighton and Hove, and they only went back to a temporary stadium, the Athletics Track at Withdean. It is such an incredible story. And, you know, the Brighton fans who fought against their owners, they had the dodgiest owners for, for, for a time, are an absolute credit to keeping that club alive. I'm not going to give them too much praise because they've got that good now that they're now a threat to Manchester United. In the latest instalment then of Andy Mitten versus Google, um, ADR producer has just sent us a note. The record attendance for any event at the stadium was established on the 8th of December 1985 when 12,000 people yes! saw an American football match <laughs> between the Brighton B-52s and the City College of San Francisco. If you could only see how happy Andy Mitten is right now. Is He's it a Brighton B-52? Isn't B-52 a, a shot? Uh, yeah, it's uh, also is a it, plane. It's also I a think. famous okay. bomber. Oh, so is that plane. why does yeah. the B-52 yeah. shot take its name from the bomber? No, no, mate. They, they, they named a they named, they named a fighter plane that drops bombs after a after a shot. That's why uh, yeah. that's why Nicholas Bentner wore the number fifty two for Arsenal for a little bit uh-huh. as well because he wanted to be like a B fifty two bomber. And they were also right, a band, okay. an American band as yeah. well. There you go. There you go. Right. Well, hopefully that made you smile after all of that after forty odd minutes worth of toil. But anyway, we will be back to two podcasts a week from next week after our little hiatus over the international break. And of course, whatever happens with Manchester United, we'll be here to discuss it. We've actually got the very, very exciting prospect of Bayern Munich in the Champions League next week, which is going to be a welcome tonic, I think, for for all these issues for Manchester United. We'll preview that match uh, on Sunday night. We'll have that podcast by Monday and whatever happens against Brighton, of course, and whatever happens with everything else, 
we'll talk about it then as well. But for the moment, Carl, thank you. Andy, thank you. Laurie, thank you. And thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic.